Hello, my name is John O'Connell, and welcome to AMX Fika Leadership Podcast. So over these podcasts, I'll be speaking to some inspirational and innovative data and analytic contributors from across industry and the health and care sectors. I'll be asking each of them to share with us some of the exciting work they have underway, which is helping to shape the health and care analytics space, as well as asking some of them their motivational insights into their career paths to date. So why FICA? FICA is a social phenomenon in Sweden, I thought I'd borrow. It's a legitimate reason to set aside some really quality time to catch up with friends, family and colleagues over a coffee and a cake. So joining myself and Toby today is Dr. Rupert Dunbar-Rees, a former GP and is CEO and founder of Outcomes Based Healthcare. So welcome, Rupert. Thank you very much for inviting me. And Rupert, I believe uh, you were also part of the um, NHS Innovation Accelerator f- uh, Fellow from uh, 2016 to 19. That's and that right. you're now yeah, working, was it uh, nationally with Ming Tang on the uh, really important segmentation work? Yes, yes. NHS England are doing a, a lot of really interesting stuff at the moment, uh, one element of which is um, around population segmentation. And we're supporting some of that work in relation to, well, we'll come on to it, but um, basically um, grouping people by similar sets of um, health and care needs. So, yes, we're working closely with uh, with um, NHS England at the moment. Right. And Rupert also sits on the Strategic Advisory Board uh, for the All-Party Parliamentary Group for Longevity, uh, which is looking into optimised health, uh, I think it's optimised health lifespan, and also working for the Business for Health Index. So, welcome, Rupert. Really delighted to have you on uh, join ourselves on AMX Fika podcast. So, the most important question we always kick off with, uh, Fika's always coffee and a cake with friends and your monks' friends. What would be your, your preference, uh, coffee uh, or tea, uh, and what cake would you have with it? So I think I'm definitely a coffee person. I do. I'm, I'm also partial to a cup of tea, but certainly during the working day, I, I get through a few um, flat whites. So it'll be a flat white for me, please, John. And cake. Cake. Um, I'm going to go for um, something from where I where I grew up and where my family are from. Uh, so Bakewell pudding. Yep. There you go. Um, yeah. From a small village, uh, Bakewell in Derbyshire, uh, near where I grew up and where my family are from. Perfect choice. <laughs> yeah, no, today I think I'm drinking a green, not green, yeah, green tea because it's about 30 odd here at the moment. So, yes. no, brilliant choices. So, no, uh, really great to have you on board. And um, we'd be really interested, uh, as we mentioned to all our guests, is, you know, your, your journey is quite unique, uh, Rupert. And I think, you know, for our listeners, you, your career today is really interesting to hear about, you know, the transition when we last spoke about, you know, from a hospital doctor to GP, but also moving towards the, you know, being an entrepreneur and an innovative health analytics organization that you've created. Um, are you able to share with us that journey that you've had today and any insights you'll be able to share for people along the way? Yes, of course. Um, I'll, I'll do my best to uh, to narrate some of that. It's certainly not been a, um, a, a straight line career path. I think it's fair to say it's been fairly squiggly. Uh, so I started off doing all the sort of uh, standard student jobs, you know, when I was um, um, between school and university and then at university and, uh, uh, you know, pretty much 
a, a wide variety of things um, from cleaning the handrails in Debenhams to working in a frozen pea factory to working as a removals man. Um, worked worked with my dad as an accountant. I used to go on audit with him. Um, and it, it, that made me sure that I didn't want to be an accountant. But um, <laughs> it did at least give me an interest in uh, <laughs> how, how, um, uh, how money moves uh, around the world. And latterly, um, we'll come on to this perhaps, uh, the NHS. Um, I then decided I was going to be a vet because um, I grew up on a on a farm, uh, and I couldn't get into vet school because my my grades were not good enough. So I ended up um, uh, doing medicine, and uh, then I, I I worked as a hospital doctor for a number of years. I did pretty much most most jobs that you can do in a hospital. I think most clinical jobs that you can do in a hospital. Um, uh, there are one or two I haven't done, but um, I, I've, I've rotated around many jobs from surgery to medicine to A&E. Um, and then I, um, I happened upon general practice. And I think most, I think, I think in terms of lessons, rather than just being a sort of a list of jobs I've done, um, <laughs> I think a lot of this has just been serendip- serendipity and, 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 and chance, actually. So, and, and um, spotting opportunities. Um, I then, we'll maybe come on to this later, but I, but I, um, found myself um, uh, after about five years as a, as a GP, uh, leaving general practice and, and uh, doing what I do now, which is run a health analytics company. But um, yeah, I think the, the common thread there would be chance and serendipity and, and taking opportunities when they present themselves. And Ruby, was about to say that, you know, the experience you have in, in your early you know, student days, they kind of layer up on top of one another. You can always refer back. I think so. It's, I find... It's certainly if you're, if you're in the sort of caring profession, uh, if, you're, if you're working as a doctor, you're working as a GP, and you have no experience of, um, you know, people's jobs, what, you know, how, how what it's like, you know, um, uh, uh, to, 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 to do some of those jobs that, that, that I just mentioned, then it's, it's quite hard to sort of relate to them when they come to you seeking help or um, support with something. So I found it hugely, hugely valuable. I, um, and I always, I still do actually draw on, 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 on um, my non-medical um, uh, career background. And um, uh, I think it all adds to the, to the you know, richness of understanding um, people's situations, people's contexts, um, uh, and all of that helps me day to day with what I do now at, at Outcomes-Based Healthcare. Oh, thank you for sharing that. It was really fascinating. Now, Rupert, as well, it'd be really, really great to hear uh, for listeners some of the great work you're doing with Outcome-Based Healthcare. Um, and I, when I've seen you present as well, you, you really do make information accessible to GPs and clinicians. And I've dealt with an awful lot of GPs and clinicians over time, <laughs> especially when you're talking about risk stratification. They're saying, look, I'm very busy. I haven't got time to go through trawls of patient lists and things, but you've made it really, really accessible. So it'd be really good to sort of hear about you kind of, you know, when we spoke last, you said it was uh, OBH um, is a mission-based organisation and, and, and share with us sort of your, your vision of what, what your organisation is about. Yes, of course, and thank you, thank you for that, John. Um, uh, I think, yeah, I think uh, our organisation is um, uh, uh, we're focused on measuring what isn't isn't really measured, I suppose, in, in or not comprehensively measured in healthcare at the very least, which is really what matters most to people. And usually, when we talk about that, we talk about their outcomes and. Um, and that and that means measuring those outcomes from from the patient's perspective or the individual's perspective. And um, you know, we because of the 
the way that healthcare is structured in terms of um, the organizational structures, the data silos that, that sort of arise from that, the payment silos that, that go on in healthcare, not just in the UK, this is anywhere in the world really, um, then it often becomes quite challenging to then measure anything outside of that those sort of um, dimensions. So if we're thinking about someone who maybe has osteoarthritis or uh, COPD or a long-term condition like that, and you're thinking not just, you know, did we do the thing that we needed to do today for this person in this GP surgery or in this hospital, but actually across all of their care, then that becomes quite challenging. Um, and did it make a difference? Did it make did it make a meaningful improvement in their lives? And how would we measure that? So that's the challenge that we're focused on, which is joining up data across all those care settings and really measuring the impact of what is ultimately lots of brilliant work being done by um, lots of brilliant people across the NHS and um, and beyond, actually. And um, um, but that, that comes with some quite significant technical challenges. Um, so getting on for, I think we're in our ninth year now um, um, at OBH, um, I, I set up um, OBH with um, two co-founders, um, Juliana Bassani and Nasrin Hafezparast, um, um, who, who respectively have sort of um, economics and sort of business and commercial backgrounds. And then Nazrin has a sort of a tech and um, uh, tech background, but then uh, went into medicine as a mature student. And we set up OBH um, over eight years ago now to, to really try and address that problem. Are we making a difference um, through, through healthcare? And we're incredibly fortunate to have around us a brilliant team of um uh, a, a brilliant team who, who sort of backgrounds from epidemiology, public health, data analytics, um, software development, um, um, economics. Um, so it, kind of any, all of the skills that you might need to, to be able to, to measure and represent um, that kind of information meaningfully. Um, and, and, and so that's that's really what we're, what we're focused on. We work very closely with, with, with the NHS and um, yeah, I, <laughs> Weirdly, I didn't set out to set up a health analytics company. It just happened along the way. Um, but but I think given that most, if not all of us in the team are either current or previous NHS um, uh, employees uh, or trained, um, I think that you know, is a real mission-driven um, sort of heart to the organisation and focus of the organisation. Right. Oh, wonderful. Thanks for sharing. That's a great, great mission to have, isn't it? And also looking for that spot in that gap, isn't it? Yeah. Seeing what's not being measured, I think is really, really key. And I think also when we spoke, you mentioned about, you know, OBH had kind of pivoted the, the initial focus when you're looking at in the early years, looking at people with long-term conditions, mm -hmm. who in in the main, I think we all know probably from a from a sort of a, a data perspective who they are, but then sort of shifting, shifting it to the, to the end, you know, to the other side of sort of looking mm -hmm. at people who, who are not being seen. How, how did you sort of come up through um, developing, was it HealthSpan, I think, isn't it, mm. that, that sort of measure? How yeah. has it sort of changed the analysis to sort of over the nine years? Yeah, I think there have been some quite significant changes over that period. I think you're right, John. I think um, in in the early years of of, um, of our work, we were focusing on measuring outcomes for people who, as you said, were were, were um, already had significant um, poor health or significant ill health. And... Um, I think that that um, that's necessary, but insufficient. And so, and just to give you a really sort of clear idea of what I'm referring to there. So, so for instance, we would um, often be processing data for people with diabetes and 
coronary heart disease and COPD and conditions like that. And, and we'd be trying to measure, you know, have these people who have these conditions, have they um, uh, either experienced a bad outcome that, that should be avoided, like a, you know, a cardiovascular complication or something like that? Um, or, um, uh, you know, are they experiencing an outcome, good outcomes that we want to encourage more of, like um, confidence in managing their condition or improving their quality of life and so on, reducing the impact of their, their, their illness on their day-to-day -day lives. And, and I think that that is all absolutely necessary and, um, you know, really needs, needs to be done. Um, but we, we, kept, we kept on sort of processing the data on people who have established um, ill health and, and kept on finding that there was um, still a large chunk of the population who are left in the data set after after that processing, and we were sort of scratching our heads a bit, and 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 sort of thought, well, what's who are these people? If they don't have frailty, they're not they don't have incurable cancer, they're not um, you know they don't have long term conditions, don't don't have significant disability, and so on. Then these must be people who are fairly healthy and well at the moment at, at any rate um, they may have you know challenges in their day-to-day -day lives they may be um, living healthy lives or they may be living very unhealthy lives um, but but either way right as of right now there's sort of you know they're fairly healthy and healthy and well and so really that got us into this thing that we call population segmentation which is just around kind of organizing um, um, our analytics work and and the sort of the health health and care response to that um, around groups of people with similar sets of needs, and we felt that by focusing on the healthy and well cohort, um, we can really get under the skin of prevention because if we know who these people are, I mean I use that in the loosest sense of, of the word because the data we're processing is anonymized. But if we know that what the sort of characteristics and feature um, of, of features of, of the healthy well cohort are, and we know when they leave the healthy well group and, and sort of why in terms of what with and what were the drivers in terms of the wider determinants, then we can really start to get under the skin of, well, what can we do to support those people to stay in that healthy well cohort for longer? And that's where HealthSpan was born. This is a sort of a, a new measure of population level healthy lifespan. It uses um, um, data not just from a sample of the population, um, but but for, for for the whole population, um, and so we're able to to see how long um, people live in that healthy well state, and then look at that as a proportion of their overall lifespan, and it starts to help to build that sort of um, business case as much as anything else for prevention, um, because there's this sort of prevailing narrative that we can't afford prevention, or or we can't we can't afford a, you know. Uh, longer lives, and and I think this is um, you, you. You need to. We need to sort of um, recraft that narrative, really, because if if those extra years that we are living are lived in good health, then absolutely we can afford um, uh, increasing longevity. It's not inevitable that increasing um, um, uh, increasing longevity or increasing years lived comes with it comes at a a big um, uh, cost to the taxpayer. It doesn't have to if we if we can get that right. So we went from um, um, sort of working on that at a local level with with um, local integrated care systems. We developed that over over a few years, um, and there's a whole suite of measures on um, on health span. And um, we then started to work about three years ago with Ming's team um, on on seeing whether it's possible to baseline that at a national level. And we we published the first national um, health span um, baseline just prior to the pandemic. And uh, I think it's going to be really interesting to see how that plays out over the course of the pandemic in terms of what the impact on health span has been and also the wider sort of work of the NHS on the long term plan.
you know, I was going to say that that's really interesting. Thanks for sharing that. I mean, and just from a health span perspective, and obviously the COVID impact, I'm, mm. I'm sure that are you seeing any sort of changes that you wouldn't ordinarily expect to see? Um, it's a really interesting question. So I think it's an open, it's, we, we don't have um, a definitive position on it yet. I think going into the pandemic, we saw fairly marked variation of, you know, between 12 to 15 years in health span, uh, according to um, various domains of deprivation, um, gender, um, uh, ethnicity and so on. So some of the sort of um, uh, characteristics that normally underpin health inequalities are, are play out quite markedly with with, with health span. Um, and in some areas, we're seeing um, you know twenty um, percent of the people under thirty who already have significant illness. And in the most deprived communities, you know people in their low forties on average who are who are leaving that healthy well cohort. While in 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 our less deprived communities, that could be you know. Um, as much as 15 years later, so the marked variation um, in 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 um, health span going into the pandemic. I think during the pandemic, it's it's a little still a little bit early to say, but I think there are signs that there have been significant falls in 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 health span over the course of the pandemic in local areas. We've noticed that has been up to a couple of years so far. Um, um, that may correct back after, you know, as we're sort of going through the, um, the evolving stages of the pandemic. Um, but then underlying that, there's some really quite confusing effects um, um, at play. So it's not all um, it's not all going the wrong way, as it were, on, on that side of things. We've noticed a sharp fall in, in, in certain areas around asthma exacerbations, COPD exacerbations have dropped significantly um, uh, in some of our data sets, uh, or some of the data sets that we, that we, we process. Um, 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 while at the other end, um, falls in older people with frailty have, have, have increased significantly. Um, and there's lots of sort of hypotheses you can, you can develop to, to sort of explain some of these changes, um, for instance, deconditioning through, through lockdown and so on in the case of falls. But unpicking all of these sort of complicated um, and complex moving parts that sort of moving in different directions will, be, will take a while, I think. But um, there's definitely definitely things moving uh, i would say in the last year or so on that oh, fascinating and, and i think for, for emerging ics's and looking through that lens or that health span lens gives a unique insight into where they should be focusing because always remember someone in public health epidemiology saying to me that you know from a health perspective we're always trying to catch people with a net of the as they fly over the waterfall but yes public health at the other end saying don't go swimming the current's quite bad but it looks to me as if your health span helps to put more visible signage up and what you should be doing in that area to stop people and prevent people getting worse mm. but yeah mm. right. it's certainly we're trying to sort of think more in more upstream manner um i would argue that, that by the time we're starting to see things in the health span data it's already quite downstream actually and i would argue yeah. that you know a lot of the interventions we need to be thinking about to keep people in that healthy well um cohort for longer are often a long way from from anything the health and care system can can um you know actively deliver through their their own resources um, and you're into sort of um, uh, uh, you know access to green space quality of housing um, um, education crime all those kinds of uh, features which seem to be strongly correlated with lower health spans where in the in the more de in the more deprived places yeah. thanks for sharing and, and Rupert, I guess you know during your last nine years with, with OBH, you've you've done an awful lot of collaboration with the NHS, and I think you know um, lots of organisations over the next few years are going to be on that journey, that similar journey of innovating. Would you be able to share with our listeners some of the sort of advice that you you've learned on your journey about uh, sort of innovation and, and partnering, should we say, collaborating with the NHS? What, what have you found sort of 
frustrating and, and things that you think if you were starting again you'd do differently yeah gosh that's that's um um uh, it's a really tricky question, actually, because it's it is it's about it's about getting the balance right. Um, I think I think you know uh, my, my feeling here is that if you in, 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 insist on doing everything yourself, yeah. then you could quickly find yourself doing nothing. So so um, and that's not really not really collaborating. Um, and so I think you know we, we've learned um, uh, sometimes the easy way and sometimes the hard way uh, over the years uh, around ways which seem to work in collaboration ways which don't don't seem to work so well with with collaborating and i think because of our roots because of where we sort of started with 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 the organization because we um uh you know went into uh, healthcare really to um uh, support people um and 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 you know we have quite a lot of clinicians on board who are, who are you know extremely mission driven um uh, 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 as well as you know, people working more broadly in the NHS who've, who've come to join the team. I think that we um, we would never want to sit on. I think one of the one of the one of the I suppose one of the key dimensions of collaboration is around um, you know sharing intellectual property, for example. Um, you know, you spend a number of years developing, researching, investing time, money, effort, sweat, and tears in 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 developing something. If you sit on that, you know, forever, then it it really starts to not not be not scale and so i think there is always a time to share intellectual property uh, so it's not a question of whether you do it's a sort of when and how um is probably yeah. um my my key learning uh, and that's been really well demonstrated actually with work with with with, with the nhs england team to uh, and and some of the work i mentioned around population segmentation um in effect that was us choosing the sort of right time and place to to then Share that um, approach. Share the uh, share how we do it. Be you know very transparent with 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 NHS England, and everything has to be you know processed in in their environment anyway. Um, and um, really realizing that actually the things that we were um, sort of working on, or um, perhaps even um, you know where our sort of where we wanted our unique um, selling points to be, actually weren't really unique selling points any longer. And at that point, I think it doesn't make any sense to um, to really sort of sit on on things and and tax the the, the spread of, of of ideas. So um, I think it's around choosing the right point to share. That would be probably the the the, the, the big the biggest learning. Um, and similarly with Healthspan, you know, we we yeah. that wants to live, come along a little bit later, but we're 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 increasingly um, um, looking to sort of um, hand that over to the to the NHS to see what you know what they can do with it. How can we how can we improve Healthspan? How can we um, optimize Healthspan and and um, help people live uh, longer, healthier lives? And Healthspan might be hopefully some small contribution to that. That's fantastic, isn't it? I suppose on that journey, I suppose it's that sort of, I suppose, dance of trust of each other and, and getting sort of mutual you know, admiration, I think, for each, what each other's doing and get that trust piece that helps, doesn't it? That's absolutely right. That's absolutely right. And I think um, the most productive work um, that I've done has been actually in, in partnership um, with, yeah. um, or been done, I didn't do it, I've been involved with, um, that's yeah. a far better way to um, reflect what's happened, um, has been in partnership with um, uh, the NHS and in particular, um, you know, partnerships with CSU, NHS England, ourselves and Public Health England, you know, that's been, um, that's that's been behind the, the segmentation work has been by far the most productive partnership and far, far the most productive piece of work I, I've ever been involved in. So um, 
none of which would have been possible um, for us as an independent organisation. But it, it does take time. I think you're right. It does take time to build trust in, in, in yeah. those relationships. Um, and you can't rush them, I don't think. Um, they have to evolve naturally and you have to, um, you have to sort of um, uh, feel your way at the speed of trust, as they say. <laughs> Brilliant. Oh, thanks for sharing that, that with us. And, and finally, Rupert, you know, I'm sure we've got budding entrepreneurs uh, who will probably be listening to this podcast. For anybody who's listening as an entrepreneur and has an idea that they're interested in developing, any advice that you'd give to them? Um, yeah, so I probably have a couple of things. Um, the first thing would be, it's a bit tricky in, in, in the middle of a pandemic, um, but I think hopefully there are signs that things are, 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 are maybe starting to... Um, Settled to not to a more normal um, on a norm, on a more normal footing anyway. But I think trying to get an internship somewhere, um, even if it's only for a short period, I think it's got to be long enough that you can get proper exposure to to um, you know to the organisation's work. Um, uh, that would be a really a really good idea um, uh, because it sort of really sort of shows you the inner workings of particularly startups. I would I would I would encourage people, particularly if you're sort of if you if you've got an idea and you're an entrepreneur and you you've got that sort of um, um, itch and you want to scratch it, then I would I would try and get close to. Um, there are many many um, brilliant startups in in um, in the, in our space and try and get try and get close to um, one or hopefully more of them. Um, just to get some exposure to 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 the space, um, and then and then I would probably pause. I'd probably think, and I'd probably any ideas that you have, that's great. Um, let those let those flourish, but then really really test those ideas and test those ideas through you know things like talk going and talking to people. If you can't find an entrepreneur an internship, go and you know. Um, uh, set up meetings, have coffee uh, when we're you know, uh, outside of the pandemic anyway with 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 people who are working in these organisations. You'd be amazed how generous people are prepared to be with their time. And um, um, uh, and if they're not, you know, it's maybe just a timing thing. So so you know, uh, um, uh, you know, oftentimes people say, no, I can't, I can't do that now, but I can do, you know, if you if you come back to me in a couple of months' time or so. So take advantage of these 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 opportunities and make those opportunities for yourself. And then just really once you before you set off, um, I would say. Don't have a brilliant idea and then go and raise loads of money and um, test out whether that idea works. <laughs> um, you know there are plenty of solutions looking for a problem to fix. Um, I would I identify a really significant problem um, and really really yeah. think deeply, really test out the the is your idea really going to you know address this problem and is there really nothing else currently um, addressing this problem? So um, really really and, and ask other people, ask other people people you trust um you know what what they think um really test that to, to to destruction and ideally before you you get into the sort of stage where you're sort of committing yourself to either um uh, uh spending money that you've raised through venture capital or, or whatever money through other sources uh, really really test that idea to destruction so those would probably be my couple of tips on on that side of things that's great. That's fantastic. No, thanks for sharing that advice with us. And thanks for, for, for joining us on FICA. I think, I think, you know, amazing insights there you shared with us. And we really appreciate that from letting serendipity take you on that journey. But also, I think, as you mentioned as well, spotting kind of the gap in the market. Or, and, and I think for people from data analytics specifically, spot what's not being measured mm. and see what impact you can make. And I, and I think the ability that, you know, you mentioned about, you know, OBH pivoting to what mm. you're measuring today isn't necessarily what you're always going to be measuring into the future. And I think there's a call out for some 
of the ICSs who are looking at population health management take a closer look at, you know, great measures like health span and seeing what that means for, for their populations. But, yeah, absolutely fantastic. And then thanks for also sharing the you know, the collaboration advice about, you know, sharing IP and uh, when's the right point to share. But uh, as you mentioned as well, most importantly, I think it takes time to build trust and let those relationships develop, which is really good. And then finally, I think, you know, great advice for the entrepreneurs who are hopefully listening, you know, uh, get yourself an, entre- an internship, explore. And if you don't get an answer straight away, it's usually doing it down to timing, but look, look out for those startups. And I think you mentioned, wasn't it? Pause, think, but test, but don't give up. I think, yes. you know, that's fascinating advice and uh, you know, great advice as well for people. And you mentioned as well, wasn't it? Look for those big, wicked problems. And there's many of them in healthcare, isn't there? There are indeed. There are indeed, unfortunately. I think there will be for some time to come. Um, yeah. And Rupert, yeah, finally, just, you know, uh, thank, thanks for joining us today. How do, how do you kind of, you know, outside of your the exciting work you're doing with OBH, how do, what do you do to relax and unwind? Um, gosh, so I have a one and a half year old baby who is an absolute joy. And um, yep. uh, I love spending time with him um, and um, and my older, my older boys. But I suppose that gives me, um, uh, gives me, uh, outside of outside of work, I try and get as much quiet space as I can. <laughs> so sometimes that means going and sitting in the woods and just yeah. thinking. Um, and uh, sometimes that means doing more active things like skiing. But then sometimes that can be um, uh, letting my wa- mind wander into other areas. Like I'm quite fond of languages um, in, in particular uh, and tinkering with old cars. So those are probably those are probably the things that keep me out, keep me off the streets. Yeah. Great, get that balance in your life. It's fantastic, isn't it? Brilliant. And how can people find you uh, and the great work you're doing with, with the team, uh, Rupert, on sort of uh, Twitter and LinkedIn? As a yeah, 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 absolutely. So um, there's a lot about our stuff, our work on our website, which is um, yep. uh, outcomesbasedhealthcare.com. Outcomes with an S. Um, we also have a sub. We also have a, a, a sort of a sister website called humanhealthspan.com, uh, which is focused. Great principally on that sort of healthy well group and some of the some of the work um, we're doing yep. there um, we're reasonably active on Twitter um, uh, at obh underscore UK uh, and my yep. Twitter handle is at Roops DR um, and we uh, otherwise um, particularly if you're a clinician you're interested in um, in this kind of thing and dipping your toe in the in the water outside of clinical medicine we also have a clinical associate network uh, and there's a form on our website um, to to that you can fill out um, uh, it takes 30 seconds um, uh, uh, and you can join the clinical associate network and that's sort of a, a networking group and um, it's, it's where we have opportunities for internships or, or, or placements or, or whatever it might be um, and really just it to learn more about this this kind of thing from from others doing doing similar work um, and that's open to everyone from sort of um, uh, you don't have to be medical um, ideally clinical um, but everyone from sort of medical student right the way through to um, university professor so um, uh, yes do 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 get in touch if uh, if we can be helpful. Right. No, thank you. We'll make sure we get those links uh, on the uh, podcast as well so people can sort of thank join you. and follow you. But no, thank you very much for joining myself and Toby today. Uh, really great to have you on board and look forward to hearing about some of your future work. Thank you. Thank you, John. Thank you, Toby. Thank you. Bye-bye. So I'd like to thank our speaker for joining us today and for everybody else tuning in to this podcast. Uh, look forward to seeing you in the future. <laughs>